WXDX FM, Pittsburgh. The Jalen Ramsey interview caused far more commotion than I figured it would. A defensive back said a bunch of quarterbacks suck. In a way, it's shrewd marketing by Ramsey because his name is going to be front and center every time he plays against one of those quarterbacks and gets burned or doesn't. He's the story before, he's the story after. Of course, he'll act when he talks to the media moving forward like this has been blown out of proportion and it's the media's fault. And in this time of Trump, you can certainly do that and inexplicably get credibility. Of more interest to me is the number of people saying these Steelers are desperate. Brian Clark is the latest, the ex-Steeler. He said on ESPN that, quote, the Steelers are in a heightened state of emergency with their preseason games. The Steelers are in a heightened state of emergency with their preseason games, unquote. Uh, And ordinarily I disagree. Ordinarily I'd say the preseason games don't matter, not for a contender like the Steelers are. But the Steelers have to show some progress on defense in the preseason. They have to break in some different guys on defense in the preseason. They have to look at some of these kids, some of these new schemes on defense in the preseason. For that defense, the preseason matters. They will be scared to use that dollar defense very much. Write that down, you heard it here. But on the bright side, I see Terrell Edmonds as a guy who could turn that defense around. If they play him, if they trust him. Heck, they still don't trust Sean Davis. It looks like Mike Hilton is the deep safety in the dollar. That is an interesting revelation. Sick again brought to you by 84 Lumber. Helping to build the right way since 1956. Somebody got to save that defense. There's a bunch of guys there we know can't do it. A bunch of guys there who have been hurting more than helping if you exclude the front three. A lot of people wonder about the Steelers' pass rush. They they led the league in sacks last year, set a club record. But they haven't replaced Shazier. And Shazier, you know, didn't rush the passer himself, but he opened up so much space for so many people to excel at so many different jobs. Uh, last year when Shazier went down, it was obviously a shocking moment. But the Steelers' D had some momentum at that point. Even without Shazier, they kept a little bit of that momentum going until they allowed 94 points in the playoff game against Jacksonville. This year, they're starting from scratch. Momentum doesn't carry from season to season, so uh, that Steelers' D has to establish a few things in the preseason. Like I said, I'm just seeing more tweets about Des Bryant being at the Cleveland Browns facility. He told the Browns in-house radio station he loves the city. Literally a week ago, he hated the idea of playing for Cleveland. But guy needs a job. I don't blame him for changing his tune. Des Bryant signing with Cleveland would be so interesting on so many different levels. Uh, Garrett Cole had another great performance for Houston last night. 
But when I watched the highlights, I spotted a flop. Garrett Cole was not pitching to contact like he's supposed to. Some guys just never learn. Here's a great stat on Garrett Cole and the absurd system-wide philosophy the Pirates jammed down his throat, namely pitching to contact. And by the way, unless I'm really misinformed on this, the idea that a pitcher should pitch to contact is because he'll get outs with less pitches and can serve his arm. Because strikeouts take at least three pitches, often more. A ground ball takes one pitch. If I'm wrong, tell me. I might be. As soon as the Penguins start camp, I don't have to know any of this anymore anyway. But Garrett Cole has more 10 strikeout games at Houston than he had in his entire career here in Pittsburgh. Here's the exact numbers. Garrett Cole's made 25 starts for the Astros. He has seven games with 10 strikeouts or more. He made 127 starts for the Pirates and had six games of 10 strikeouts or more. Wow. That's just a crazy stat. And it just absolutely insane. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. I'd like a little more feedback on that uh, beanball brawl. Well, not beanball. Hit him in the elbow. And the Braves and Marlins, their bench emptied. And to quote Will Arnett in semi-pro, these girls don't want to fight. The manager for Atlanta, that snitker, he's this middle-aged guy with a bit of a gut. He's bouncing up and down like he's on a pogo stick out there on the field. He's so pissed off. I am in a vast minority on this one. I don't think it's any big deal. Guy got hit in the elbow. Stuff happens. I don't think the pitcher should have been ejected after just one pitch. I think we're all going, well, put it this way. There's only one word to describe us, and I'm going to spell it out for you. S-A-W-F-T. Soft. Your thoughts on that, 412-333-9939. Oh, this is good. The fat kid from the Little League World Series was on Jimmy Kimmel and on SportsCenter. Big Al. Big Al gets to be famous and on TV. And the price he pays is he absorbs passive-aggressive body shaming. It's okay because he's fat. Hey, put a fat guy on TV, you can crack a joke or two. He is fat, and he gets to be on TV. And believe me, that's exactly how people think. We can't indulge any other stereotypes except for fat stereotypes. Take a look at Big Al's man boobs. It's funny because he's fat. Uh, Let's get back to that WNBA story because I think it's hilarious. The leading scorer in the WNBA is uh, Liz Cambage of Dallas, who's back in the WNBA for the first time in in four or five years after having played overseas for a while. And she's threatening to go overseas to play again, to Europe, because she can make more money there. I don't know what uh, Liz is looking for people to do here to to throw themselves in front of her car. She tries to leave the 
WNBA team, her, her, her team is Dallas, the parking lot. Supply and demand, young lady. It's supply and demand. You can give equal opportunity to things like women's basketball, but people still got to buy tickets. People still got to turn on the TV, and they don't. Cambridge said the players should be paid more, and they probably should be paid more. NBA players carve up 50% of revenue. WNBA players get 20% of revenue. But if you don't like it, don't play or go overseas like Cambridge is threatening to do. She says that the league has bad marketing, bad uniforms. That's weird. Why would she complain about the uniforms? A tough schedule, too much difficult travel, too many back-to-back games. You know, even if all that is true, things won't change because nobody cares. The WNBA doesn't have any player with star power. No player who sells an extra ticket. So there's no point in changing anything to suit anybody, including Liz Cambage, who is the leading scorer in the league. Uh, the WNBA is a minor league. Now, now it's the best women's basketball league in the country and maybe in the world, but it's a minor league. The WNBA is perceived as uh, not triple A because it is the top league in the country, but it just doesn't have the credibility, nor does the sport of women's basketball. It doesn't draw. The average attendance at WNBA games is uh, a little bit over 7,700 per game. The Penguins averaged that once, and then they almost moved. That's awful. And that's the average attendance across the league. I want to get more Steeler talk going. You know, an odd uh, thing, we're going to talk to Jerry Dulac about it at 4.30. An odd thing is that Landry Jones isn't playing at all tonight. So not only do they have uh, the the starting quarterback wrapped in bubble wrap, but, but the backup quarterback too. How would you feel if you're Josh Dobbs? You're out there, you're playing, and you can't make the team. You just cannot make the team. I said earlier in the show that you got to see improvement by the Steelers on defense in this preseason. That that's paramount because that defense has all the potential to ruin the Steelers' season. I also want to see the offense do better in the red zone, but I don't know how we judge that with 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 Josh Dobbs and and Mason Rudolph at quarterback. I will say, if Vance McDonald stays healthy and this James Washington is good at combat catches, they have a better lineup. They should, in theory, be more successful in the red zone. So your thoughts on that? Oh, here's another thing about, oh, that Acuna, the guy who got hit in the elbow, he's back in the lineup tonight. I thought he might lose the arm, but it turns out he's well enough to play. Steve Phillips, the former Mets GM, says on Twitter, Bush League moved by Jose Arena, throwing at Ronald Acuna Jr. I don't believe for one second it was a mistake. Well, I mean, how do you characterize you having slept with an intern at ESPN? Was that a mistake or do you regret it? Because I don't believe for one second it was a mistake. You know what? That's horrible whataboutism. But, you know, I'm no better than the rest. 
you know, the kid got hit in the elbow, and he's playing tonight. It's not a big deal. There's no way they can suspend that pitcher, but they might. Jerry Dulac at the bottom of the hour, 105.9. Not your wallet. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. You're like, what the hell? Hey, Mark. Hey, what? Super genius, big fan. It's Ringling Brothers time. The X at 105.9. It is very indicative of how much time we have to fill on this show and shows like it and on ESPN and all the uh, space that has to be filled on the internet and on social media, that we talk about this Acuna HBP and about Jalen Ramsey's quotes. Uh, Acuna nonstop today uh, among the baseball media and the Jalen Ramsey quotes nonstop period in the last two days. Before social media, before the internet, and I'm not, you know, this old guy yelling at clouds saying things were better then. They weren't. But before social media and before the internet, all the Acuna thing is, is an HBP in the box score in the newspaper. And maybe in the roundup, tempers flared after Acuna got hit after having led off the last three games of the home run. And they would not have ejected the pitcher. The reason they ejected the pitcher, Urena, is because they felt they were expected to. And because it might escalate if they didn't. See, if I'm an umpire, I don't care if things escalate. They're not going to be throwing at me. If I was an umpire too, and this was reflected in my tempestuous career as a deck hockey referee. If I refereed one of your deck hockey games, tweet now and tell me how good I was, because I was. But if you fought, you were on your own. I wasn't breaking it up. Although when I was young, I'd sometimes take you for a ride in the German elevator. Take you up for a suplex when I broke it up. But then when you do that, you fall down too. My point is, those are a couple of non-stories that are being blown out of proportion. I just find the Acuna one. And how often do we talk about baseball on this show, period, let alone something that does not directly involve the Pirates? But I think it's just interesting. The guy got hit in the elbow. He's back in the lineup tonight, and it became a federal case. It became the lead story at ESPN when all that happened was a guy got hit on the elbow. 412-333-9939. Uh, Michael wants to talk about just that. Michael in the North Hills, you're on with Double M. I really could care less, but um, since it was the topic of the day, why didn't they just throw four balls and walk the guy? Pitch count. Oh, jeez. No, I'm being, I'm being sarcastic. Oh, okay. I'm like, really? No, no, the, no. The, put it this way. Uh... Urena wanted to hit him. But, but you know, I don't know how you know that for sure. And Urena did a good job afterward, putting on a bit of an act. He said, you know, why would I want to get thrown out after one pitch? Why would I want to wait five days to pitch and get thrown out after one pitch? Like, you know, that's one of those things where you know he did it and he meant to do it, but I'm not sure you can prove it. And I, I if I'm an umpire, I can't throw him out of the game after one pitch. I agree. Thank you for the call. Remember when Doc Ellis was pissed because he felt the Cincinnati Reds were intimidating the Pirates? That was like in, you know, 72, 73, somewhere in there. And he hit the first five batters before Murtaugh got him out of there. This guy got ejected after, after one pitch. Doc hit five guys, wasn't ejected. His manager had to pull him. Yikes. 412 333 
I, you know, every whenever wrestling intrudes onto uh, real life, I, I bring it up. I got to bring this up. Dave Meltzer, who we've had, did I bring this up yesterday? Okay, there's a twist in the tale, though. Dave Meltzer, who, who writes a newsletter called The Wrestling Observer, he's the longest serving wrestling journalist, made a comment on a podcast about how one of the WWE uh, female wrestlers had gained some weight and looked better back when she was in the farm promotion. The AAA promotion, NXT. And the wrestler Peyton Royce went back after him. And then practically the whole WWE roster went after Meltzer. But then somebody else, not, not anybody involved in the business, but a fan, pointed out. It's easy to punch down that somebody doesn't work for the company. But not too long ago, WWE did a show in Saudi Arabia where the women weren't allowed to participate, women weren't allowed to watch, and when WWE showed a brief video highlight on the Jumbotron of two women wrestling, they were reprimanded by the Saudi Arabian government. And recently on TV, uh, one WWE performer, a woman, Mickey James, was called old and fat, and another one, Tamina Snuka, was told she looked like a man. So so it's really easy to go after Meltzer and he he said something he shouldn't have. But it's easy. That deal where you took 40 million from Saudi Arabia to go over there and participate in their anti-woman culture, that's a lot worse. Talk about that. 4123339939 Jerry Dulac next 1059. And now the super genius Mark Madden. Hi, uh, Mark. Sorry, I'm talking to my son. Um, no one cares at all. No one. The X at 105.9. Double M on the X. My pleasure now to be joined live from Green Bay from the Post Gazette, one of the best football writers around. It's Jerry Dulac. Jerry, what's it like to cover a game at Green Bay? By far the smallest city in the NFL or any major sports leagues, but boy. It just oozes tradition. Yeah, Mark, and and beyond that, you know, what's really cool about it, and I was just saying this five minutes ago, and Buffalo is the same way. They're the only two that I can think of. The the stadium is effectively uh, in a neighborhood. It's not in the middle of it, but it's right on the edge of it. So if, if I walk out the parking lot and walk 200 yards, I'm on, I'm on a little, little uh, cozy street, and I just think that's really cool. Uh, the tailgaters are out there and they're in their front yards. And I just think that whole, uh, the whole climate here is, is really neat. Obviously, I've never been here in the summer. Anytime I've been here, there's been 10 inches of snow and it's been very cold. Um, but I, I mean, it's Lambeau Field. It's Yankee Stadium. It's Boston Garden. It's the Montreal Forum and it's still standing. And, uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, I, I just enjoy seeing it coming to it. You know, I was taking a couple pictures here on the way in that I'm going to tweet out when I'm done with you. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's just a really neat uh, environment for what you said is the smallest professional sports city in, in America. Jared, why isn't Landry Jones going to play at all tonight? Uh, I'm assuming it's because he's definitely the number two quarterback, right? He's not competing for anything. Absolutely, Mark. They have nothing to see about Landry Jones. They want to see these two guys. And because they have four quarterbacks, not three, you know what I mean? It isn't like they have three uh, uh, viable ones and then some guy that's just an arm. They have four viable ones, at least in terms of potential roster spots. So that's why they're not going to play them. They don't need to see anything of them. 
they want to um, they want to give all the snaps to these two guys. And I think Mark, you're going to see you're going to see Mason Rudolph early, but I think you might see him start the game. I, I wouldn't read into that. I think they just want to see him play uh, with more of the front line people. Um, but uh, uh, but that that's why they're doing this. No reflection whatsoever on Landry Jones. And it's worth noting too, Jerry, the Steelers really like Landry Jones, don't they? No question about it. They believe he's better than eighty percent of the backup quarterbacks in the league. Mark, now that might be damning him with faint praise, <laughs> but I mean, there's there's no question. I mean, he's a solid backup, and uh, they have no problems with him. And all you have to do is look at the other backups around the league. That when they come into the game, you know, you you, you sit there and you think, wow, what a what a drop off. Now I know there's a drop off from Ben, but it's not nearly as significant as some other teams where you have a marquee quarterback and then go to the and then. I reached on to the number two guy, and so they have they have a lot of confidence in Landry. He's smart. He's always known the playbook. He's very good with the X's and O's, and we've we've seen him come in and produce. So they they don't have any questions about Landry as their number two quarterback, none whatsoever. Now Ben Roethlisberger is out of concussion protocol, which is good news. Where is Ben at in terms of readiness to play, Jer? Uh, he seems to be in really good shape. Yeah, you know, Mark, the last um, the last two years they've held him out of the the, the first two uh, p- uh, preseason games, and so now this is the third year in a row they've done that, and he won't play the last one either. He'll play a quarter and a half, and uh, you know, and then have him ready for the regular season. But I think that's also why they have him practice as much as they do, you know, in a controlled environment where he's not getting hit. There's no point subjecting him to to getting hurt, getting hit, getting a season-ending injury in a preseason game. So um, he looks good. Look, you, you've heard about that all during training camp. I, I think the misconception with Ben is that I think people think that he's, this is the first time he's come in in shape. I would venture to say the last three, four, maybe even five years, he has come to training camp in very good shape. This is the best he's ever come in shape, and part of that is because of his nutrition. He's changed his eating habits what he's eating, what, and he's watching what he eats. And, and I think uh, that has all contributed to not only how good he looks, but how he feels uh, as well. You know, Randy Fittner was saying the other day when I was talking to him that, you know, it's just little things. Like, you don't see Ben icing up his knees after practice. You don't see him jumping in the cart and riding up the hill. He's walking up the hill. I know somebody might go, whoa, you know, big deal. But the point is, is here in training camp, he feels really good and, um, uh, he, he, you know, and, and Mark, I've contended that his arm now is as strong, if not stronger, than when he came into the league. So there's no evidence uh, that he can't make any throws. I love when I hear people say that. People who say that don't don't remember, don't know what it, what he's like, what it was when he came in, and what he's like now. I mean, Ben's arm strength. There's no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, we all know by now about Jalen Ramsey's remarks about a bunch of quarterbacks in the league, but about. Ben saying he ain't all that. What's right. your reaction to that, Jared? Has anybody run those remarks past Ben yet? Um, I don't think that they have, Mark. You know, once again, we'll take into account what you're dealing with here. You're dealing with a, a moron like Jalen Ramsey who just says the most ridiculous things. And, of course, the media runs to him because they know he's going to say something that's stupid because, you know, I think a lot of his remarks aren't very intelligent. So, I mean, look, he just he pretty much dissed every quarterback in the league. And, and especially the top one. So I don't put a, I don't put a lot of credence in what he says, of course. And I'm sure Ben just, just dismisses it as just, you know, uh, you know, some jabroni. He's a good player, but I mean, look at what, look at what he did last week, Mark. I mean, they suspended him. 
And, um, you know, I'd actually like to see the Steelers take a little harsher stand with Antonio Brown after what he did last week. Or this week, this week, excuse me. We're talking to Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette. He's live from Green Bay where the Steelers play the Packers tonight in uh, preseason game number two. Jared, Le'Veon Bell and the kind of season he's going to have concerns me. And let me tell you why. He showed up late last year, and he did okay. You know, above average, not as good as he could, but, but pretty good. But this year, when he shows up, he'll also have one foot out the door at the same time because he knows he's not coming back next year. That's not a good situation, is it? No, and I'll tell you what else isn't good about it, Mark. You know, you miss one training camp like he did. And, yeah, as you pointed out, his numbers are okay for an average running back. But for Le'Veon Bell, you know, despite all those touches, I mean, that's how he gets his yards. He averaged 3.9 yards per carry behind arguably the best offensive line in the league, certainly one of them. Uh, His longest run was 27 yards, and he only had three runs longer than 20 yards. That's not exactly a game-breaking running back behind that offensive line and in an offense that has two game-breakers and two guys that the uh, defensive coordinators worry about, Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown. And so he isn't changing the games. And, and, and you know, the first half of the season, first five or six games, uh, you know, he, I, you know he, was, he was okay. I'm not diminishing his abilities. I'm just saying for him, to me it was an average year. But now he misses a second training camp in a row. You miss one, that's what happens. Now you miss two in a row, and I just think the cumulative effect of that, I would be very surprised if he even approximates the numbers he had last year, Mark. And I, I just think, and as you well know, I mean, you know, his, his uh, uh, public persona here in town and his popularity just keeps sinking and seeking. And the minute he starts playing even average or not, uh, you know, not performing, I think, you know, you're going to see the people turn on him. Uh, very quickly. I think they're a little tired of his whole charade. And, um, you know, the guy's getting paid a lot of money. And, uh, you know, I just think he, I think he should be here. But that's my opinion. And I understand why he isn't. But nonetheless, if you're all about the team and you're all about winning, Mark, there is no way, there is no way, and people in the organization feel this way. He's going to come, he can come in with missing training camp while all these other guys are out there busting their tail. And he's going to come in all of a sudden, and they're just going to say, okay, Le'Veon, and start handing him the ball. And when he doesn't perform, there are people on this team, I promise you, who will, who will resent the whole situation with Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, I think that's a definite. And I just don't think he's going to feel invested, Jer. I know he has a lot to play for because he's going to be a free agent, but I honestly don't think the guy thinks that far ahead. Yeah, Mark, you might you might be right, and I know uh, you know uh, that's been uh, you know other people have have kind of wondered about that. Um, you know, I think when Le'Veon Bell, be, best I can tell from Le'Veon Bell, I will say this: I mean, he's a competitor. When he gets off and on a football field, I think he has given it his all. So that's why I don't worry about that aspect. I don't worry about that nearly as much as I think they should be concerned about uh, the cumulative effect again of missing a second training camp in a row. I can't think of a skill player who's ever missed two training camps in a row, Mark, and, and I just can't imagine them performing at any type of level what they're accustomed to, and I'm sure that will be the case uh, with Le'Veon Bell. Jer, is the defense improving that you can see where and how? Well, they have to show it to me, Mark, uh, but I will say this. they are I believe they are a better defense now than they were after December 4th last year when Ryan Shazier got hurt. Um, They've had a whole year, well, a whole offseason to develop a plan. Um, I think they have that. Um, I think they have 
while John Bostic isn't a Pro Bowl linebacker, I think he's better than Sean Spence and what they and, and how they were trying to feel that role last year. So I think from that standpoint, I think their secondary is better. Their secondary is deeper. I think Artie Burns is really going to uh, kind of surprise people. Um, he looks like he's taken just a major step back there. Now we'll see once the season starts. Sean Davis is playing the back end of the field. They got you know Mike Mitchell was gone, and the reason why is he couldn't run anymore. Mark, people would say, oh Mitchell took a bad angle there. Mitchell missed the tackle. It's because he couldn't run to get in position, and it's the same reason nobody has picked him up. So they'll have better speed on the back end, and uh, I think when you have, I, I, I think Terrell Edmonds is going to be the real deal too. They do as well. Forget what I think. They do as well. Um, so I really think that their secondary is young. I think it has a lot of talent. I, I really like Cam Sutton, and they're going to have a lot of moving parts in there. Um, but I, I think I, I don't think there's any question they should be better, provided there's no significant injuries. And um, but we'll see. We'll see how they defend the run. That's going to be the key, and that's why I think a lot is going to have to do, Mark, with Cam Hayward and Stephon Tuitt. You know, the last year and a half they have not played together 100% healthy. Stephon Tuitt was anything less the entire season last year. We know Cam missed 12 games a season before. So I think if they can stay reasonably healthy, um, that's going to be a big part of their success too, or if they're going to have success. Tell me about that dollar defense, because it's been made a big deal out of in the media, the seven DBs. I just don't think they'll play it very often, Jer. I actually think they should. I think that could really confuse the other team's passing game if they saw it down after down. But the Steelers generally don't do radical. No, Mark, they, they rarely played the dime defense last year, uh, if you stop and think about it. They just play a lot of nickel. But where they will get into those situations is when they are playing a pass-happy team that they, that they get ahead of, and they know they're probably just going to throw, throw, throw. It's something they'll throw out there because it's something that they'll give some different looks but it's not something that they're, uh, they're just going to rely on because then you leave yourself vulnerable to the run. So the only time you're going to see that, I, I think, it, it, aside from a special circumstance here and there, once, maybe twice, is, is when, they, when they have a lead and maybe in the fourth quarter. But other than that, you know, when you put seven DBs back there, I don't care if one of them's Terrell Edmonds and the other's Morgan Burnett guys who play like linebackers, they're not linebackers, and they become susceptible to the run. And that's one of the things, uh, Mark, I don't want to say they're worried about with, um, with uh, uh, Mike Hilton, but they, having Mike Hilton as the nickelback, when he's on the field, if you're trying to protect the run, which they are in their sub-package, he's too small to line tight. And, yeah, he's a good tackler, and, yeah, he's tenacious, but he's 185 pounds at best. And you can't put a 185-pounder on the line of scrimmage and expect to stop the run. So you will see they like Mike Hilton. They want him on the field. But you'll see them move him probably back more to safety. They'll put him out on the edge and let him blitz. But that's one of the things they want to try to uh, deal with this year, too, because they know when he's your nickelback, he's too small to, to, to stop the run at the line of scrimmage. Jerry, as always, great stuff. Enjoy Lambeau Field. I'll talk to you when you get back. All right, Mark. Always good chatting with you. That's Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette. Uh, he brought up, I don't want to pursue it because I think we're sick of talking about it, but uh, the Jags suspended Jalen Ramsey a game because he was abusive toward a media member. The Steelers probably should do the same thing with Ant- Antonio Brown in his actions toward Ed Bouchette. But uh, like I said, no apology even from A.B. 
the clowns run the circus, and that will hold them back this year. I think this season, I think the best the Steelers could do is 10-6. and six. I think it could wind up being a disaster, too. Talk to Bob McLaughlin next, 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. They're going to nail us no matter what we do, so we might as well have a good time. Toga, toga. DX at 105.9. I'm joined now by Bob McLaughlin. Bob brought to you by 84 Lumber. Bob, uh, what are you looking to see in tonight's Steelers exhibition game? And for the defense in particular, because I think the offense is what the offense is in terms of personnel and performance, although... I do think Le'Veon Bell is a potential disaster, but I think the D got to show something, get it together uh, for their sake as much as any, I mean, for the sake of their confidence as much as anything. Yeah, I agree with you. And the one thing I'm looking for above everything else, now that Bud Dupree is going to be in there tonight, I want to see Bud Dupree in the right places. I want to see him getting to the quarterback, and I want to see him making tackles. I want to see Bud Dupree do something that warrants him being on the field a lot for the Steelers' defense this year because he hasn't really done that in the last few seasons. He has not panned out, um, whether it's injuries or just getting run over or just not knowing you know, where he's supposed to be or what he's supposed to do at certain points in the game. Bud Dupree's got a lot to prove. Yeah, I tend to think there's a burden of proof on him uh, as soon as now and certainly during the season. Uh, a lot of people looking to Terrell Edmonds to be a savior. You heard Jerry Dulac talk about him to play that hybrid half-safety, half-linebacker position, uh, I think that's unfair, but I think it's also reality if this defense is to be any good. Uh, Sean Davis is a guy who's going to start at free safety, but they don't trust him, as evidenced by the fact in the dollar defense, Mike Hilton's the deep guy. It's just such a weird mix on that defense right now, and maybe it'll all come good, but it has to. I just don't think, and I'll talk to Jared Bell of, uh, USA Today about this at 5.15. I don't think a good offense can cover for a bad defense indefinitely, and especially in a playoff situation against good teams. Yeah, absolutely, and you have proof of that last year against Jacksonville because the offense, you know, they put the points on the board, but the defense couldn't do anything. And you're right, the questions about this secondary mark, they're everywhere, not just about the dollar defense, but about what they're going to do you know, when they're in their, their base, I, uh, unless their dollar defense is going to be their base, and we just don't know about that yet. Um, but look, Sean Davis had problems with knowing where he had to be also. He had trouble, you know, at the other position. Now that he's free safety, he's got to learn a whole bunch of new tricks. I'm not sure that he's able to do that. I do like Mike Hilton, though, better in that secondary. He seems to know where he has to be. He is quick. He disguises things well. They use him, I think, perfectly. He got pressure on the quarterback last year. He got his hands on some balls last year and made some plays. I like him being back there. Sean Davis, another defenseman that's got something to prove also. Yeah, Dulek says Artie Burns looks good. I, I do think that they've given themselves a bit of a chance with the defensive backs, Bob and that they have a lot to throw at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, do, They do, have like seven defensive backs that can kind of play, in right. theory. And then you've got guys like Marcus Allen, the rookie from Penn State, who in that hybrid spot you know, has the size and the speed to fit the bill. They've at least given themselves a chance to get better in the defensive secondary. Not so much an inside linebacker, but definitely in the secondary. Yeah, you're right. And with some of the athleticism and the size of some of these DBs, some of the guys in the secondary mark, you're right. Why not try and see 
how they work against the run. Why not try and, try and see if you can clog up everything in the secondary and make the team that you're going against bend to your wishes, play how you want them to play. It's going to be very interesting. I don't think we're going to see any of that. Uh, they're going to keep it under wraps until the first game against Cleveland. And I think you talked about it last week. We may not even see too much of it against Cleveland unless that becomes a pretty close game. Uh, but definitely as the season goes out, you're going to see more and more wrinkles every time because I, as you talked about that zone blitz defense, that's not the NFL anymore. You know, maybe sporadically, maybe just throwing it in there to shock somebody, but you got to do better than that now because people are looking for it. I like the idea of the dollar. I like the idea of forcing the other team to either run a lot or be frustrated trying to pass against that D. Oh, I do too, especially with the way the league is going right it's now. too radical, though. They won't do it. But if it works... Too radical. They won't do it. It'll never get a chance to What's work. the alternative, though? I mean, if it works a couple Something of times... Something else. Like Jerry said, they barely used a dime last year. Right. Bob, real quick before we go, we're, we're done here, what was your take on the Acuna incident, the Atlantic uh, slugger who got drilled in the elbow last night, didn't get hurt, the pitcher got ejected, a, a big... Scandal uh, erupted from it. I just don't think it's a big deal. What say you? Cards on the table, Mark. I was shocked when you said that. I thought that you would be somebody who would go right along with that because you like seeing the talent in sports. I do too, but he got hit in the elbow. But Mark, he was definitely thrown out. He got hit in the elbow because he got out of the way of the pitch coming right at him. I mean, that was, I mean, what was it? 98 miles an hour. 97.5. Absolutely. That was the hardest pitch he's ever thrown to start a game. I mean, he's lucky he got hit in the elbow. It was only because he turned his elbow out like that because that was going right for the rib cage. And if that would have got him, that's a broken rib and he's not playing tonight. I just don't think it's a big deal. Okay. Let me just use it's this analogy. It's not a big enough deal to eject him after one pitch. It just isn't. That's a 50-50 call. But if you're going to do that, if you know that you threw at him and everybody knows you threw at him, you have to do it. Hypothetical situation. Instead of a guy whose name sounds like you're in pitching, let's say that's an established pitcher, like a Garrett Cole or, or a, a, a John Lester, somebody who you know has a name and has been around. Does that pitcher get ejected? Same situation? Yes. Eight home runs in the last number of games, three to beat them in a row? Yes. Yes, he does. No way. Now he does? No way. No way. If it's such a good pitcher, then he would have control, especially with the Everybody first Everybody loses control. They would have made an excuse for the star pitcher. I don't agree with you on this one. Well, let me ask you this. Say Jake Gensel beats the Bruins three times in a row with three goals to beat, have the Penguins beat the Bruins. The next game, Zdeno Chara comes right out, very first play, first 30 seconds of the game, and puts a stick into the mouth of, of Jake Gensel. Do you think that they're okay, just calling is, a two-minute penalty? Is a stick to the Yes, probably, if it's a playoff series. Well, okay. All Might right. not even okay, be a penalty NBA. at all. Let me do this. No, one. no, no, but, but Bob, <laughs> a stick to the face is a penalty no matter what. It's against the rule. It's in the rule book, okay? The pitch, you don't have control of a pitch. You know, but you don't know. But I mean, I'm talking goes right at him, away from the play, and just destroys him because that's kind of what but this was. But it's a stick to the head. No, no, it's not It's not what this was. It's not. It's absolute targeting. There's no, but one doesn't require mind reading. And even if, even if it was accidental, what you're hypothetically saying Chara does, it's against the rules. An HBP in the rule book is just an HBP. Okay, Golden State Warriors playing LeBron. First first time down the court, they throw the ball right at LeBron's face, break his nose. <laughs> I'd love to see that. That's Bob McLaughlin. I'm Mark Madden. We'll talk more about the Sakuna thing in just 30 seconds here on 105.9.